All right, so the first show I want to talk about debuted in 1983, which would have been 40 years ago. No, Brian, like that 20 years ago. No, 40 years ago. No, Brian. Brian. 1303, no, Brian, 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 Brian. It was not 40 years ago, Brian. No, no. No, that was like yesterday. Get it right. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to TV Guys, where we don't have to be Adam Goldberg to revisit the 80s. I'm Matt. I'm Brian. And I'm Beth. And, you know, if you've been alive in the last 20 years, you've seen this infatuation with the 1980s. Well, this is your episode. Guys, this is for you. We brought in our special guest, Beth, to talk to us about what are some of the great shows from the 1980s. And you know what I realized? I didn't watch a lot of 80s shows. I'm going through these. I'm like, I vaguely remember these. But it's been a while. I don't know how you guys are. Well, I oh. watched... Is it, I'll go ahead, Beth. These are very fresh in my mind. I have never stopped watching these. These are uh, arguably some of the the greatest TV of all time, I, mm. I would like to put out there. Mm, and uh, I, I'm, I am passionate about this decade of television. That's a bold and, claim. And that's why you were actually our first... Uh, First call for the '80s guests. You weren't you weren't the backup. You're the first call we had for the '80s. Um, <laughs> Good to know. There are a few few shows in the '80s that I up that I, I also um, really love a lot. But for me, because just because I was born in '88 at the end of the '80s, these are shows that I watched more so like on Nick at Night and TV Land in reruns. I don't know if I actually watched any of these. I don't. I think I did watch any of these in um, their first original run. And that's why, like, the 1960s decade that we did was so good for me because I'm like, TV Land, I would watch that all the time. And all these, like, 1960s shows, I'm like, I love it. And then 80s was like, nah, come on. But with the audacious claim that Beth has made, I'm going to put you on the spot here and I'm going to ask you what was the best. I'm not saving it for last. We're going to start with the best 1980s show. It's hard, but what would you say is the number one? I know my answer. I, I'm I, so I'm not going to say a particular TV show. Okay. I'm going to give that award to '80s TV theme songs overall. That is true because arguably these went harder. Mm -hmm. They are far superior to any TV theme. Theme songs today barely even have words at all. Yeah, They're beautiful true. graphics, no words. Back then, they told you a story. They pulled mm -hmm. you in. They gave a little, a little intro to the characters. Sometimes, it 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 was the decade for TV theme songs. I think some of that bled into the '90s, but I think especially when you get to the the late '90s, then TV theme songs really started to die down. But I yeah. think '80s into early '90s is is a prime time for TV theme songs. In fact, we'll get to it when we talk about the show. My all time favorite TV theme song is from the '80s, hands down, no question. See, now, apparently we're fighting today, Beth. I didn't know this. I wasn't prepared coming into this because I'm going to throw back, like, best decade for TV theme songs. To me, that's the 60s with Flintstones, Gilligan's Island, Brady Bunch. Um, I guess Brady Bunch was the 70s. But, like, to me, I think of classic television theme songs, and I go back to the 60s. But Fair enough. But, I mean, the... The shows that used to air on ABC Friday, um, TGIF shows, The mm -hmm. Perfect Strangers, Family Matters, and let's not forget the Saturday morning cartoons, the Chippendales Rescue Rangers, mm -hmm. Gummy Bears. I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but yep. that song might be my favorite 
cartoon theme song. Okay. Um, Darkwing Duck. Like there was some brilliant yep. cartoon theme songs Teenage that are some of my favorites. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I, I would give you best of the eighties to me is DuckTales. Yes. Yes. I, I'll give you that. Or Muppet Babies. And not just because I love Muppets, it's because that, that theme song went hard. It's a good song. With that one like high pitched one went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Well, let's start with some some great TV. Um, I'm trying to I'm gonna try and pick something that's gonna be on multiple ones of our lists, and I wanna save one of these. Let's start with Growing Pains. Because yep. a show that can have uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kirk Cameron and Alan Thicke all together at a table and like having lines together, like what a weird to see the trajectory of their careers is crazy now, like 30 years late, 40 years later. Um, but what did, did you guys watch Growing Pains? What was some of your favorite parts of that? Who would you like about it? I don't remember any specific episodes. I do remember watching it. And I think this is kind of like the prototype of like that 80s family sitcom. Obviously you got, I think Alan Thicke is one of like the greatest TV TV, TV dads. Kind of gave uh, Kirk Cameron, before Kirk Cameron became what Kirk Cameron is today, love him or hate him, which seems to be everyone has one of those opinions on him. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's all I really remember specifically about Growing Pains. Mm-hmm. Ironically enough... I was not allowed to watch Growing Pains. Really? Again, knowing what Kirk Cameron has grown into. Uh, it, yes, I was, was it racy? as a child. Um, I think they just felt like when it came out, there were more teenage situations and it was like early to mid 80s. So I was under 10 years old. So it just was not a show I was allowed to watch. And it wasn't one that I ever went back and watched in reruns because I wasn't a huge Kirk Cameron fan. So. Sure. I think the only scene that I really remember of Growing Pains is when Matthew Perry died. I don't remember that at all. I don't remember Matthew Perry being on there. He was a friend of uh, the sister on that show. And then he, ironically, I think he died of some drug overdose or something like that, which for Matthew Perry's personal life is ironic. But it was like one of like the big emotional moments of the show. That's really, cause I've only seen it because that's one of those clips, kind of like the Fresh Prince why didn't you want me like clips that keeps getting replayed all the time? Sure. I remember that, that Mike, I know that the show was very PG, especially if you compare it to now, but that they did yeah. give Mike's character some more uh, adult situations in yeah. just like the alluded to sort of thing where it's like, you know, he's a, he's a horn dog teenager and that's a lot of his characteristics, which is really funny that it's played by Kirk Cameron. Yeah. Well, even like Full yeah. House, I remember thinking like Full House was so uh, you know PG. If you look at the early episodes, um, Uncle Jesse was talking about pretty much talking about sex every time he was on screen in the first couple episodes. Well, that's John Stamos. <laughs> that was in his contract. <laughs> yeah, but then I think later on they, they they fell more into PG. So maybe that was the same thing with Growing Pains, where it's like it, PG in our memory, but it could maybe got like tamely racy at different times. I don't know. All right, because Beth brought this up, I want to, with any of our shows, before we move on, I want to give the theme song a grade. So let's start with the Growing Pains theme song. Grade it. Brian, what do you got? I don't remember which one is the Growing Pains theme song. Uh, Uh, Don't waste another minute on your crying. Oh, yeah, that that one's a great one. I'd say that one gets a seven. 
So I was going A's to F's. But yes, we can do one to ten. That's okay. fine. I yeah, think I'd be put a C. it right at it. I'd put it at like maybe at the time it was an eight, and I think it gets bumped down to a six now. I don't think it had the lasting effect, but it was good for its time. So I think I don't know what that puts it at. Maybe it's the seven because the six and eight average together. Oof. I mean, even though I didn't watch the show, great theme song. I give it a seven. Look at that. Just across the board. We know. <laughs> I'm right. basically I, giving it a seven because I, I need to I need to give room for, for other, other ones to be higher. All right, Beth, why don't you go ahead and pick the next show to talk about? Um, I mean, I might be a little biased, but cheers. Cheers is my favorite. I, I feel like far. that should be on most people's top 10 list of best 80 shows. If if not best show of, uh, of all times, top 10 list. It was an yeah. uh, incredible cast, uh, had a very solid theme song, represented arguably the greatest city in the world. Um, uh, had She's from Boston. Just all of the, the character tropes you'd hope to see the will they won't they the the slightly dim-witted character in coach and that yeah i'm from boston in coach and then woody it it wasn't a big set it wasn't anything fancy but it was character driven it was funny it was warm how could you not love cheers so here's one thing matt has only seen it's unless it's changed you've only seen one episode of cheers because I gave him an episode to watch for this podcast. Whereas I've seen the whole thing multiple times. I watched it on Nick at Night and fell in love with it. And I've watched it on Netflix. I'm a huge Cheers fan. And even to think, okay, Frasier was a side note character. Um, mm -hmm. Like basically the equivalent of like Roy from The Office. And not only did he stay on the show after, even after Diane left, but then he got his, his own spinoff that lasted another 10 years to showing the power of, of this show. That could launch and now he's getting a that. reboot of that spinoff coming to Paramount Plus this fall. Yeah, and all that started when he was a yep. supporting character from 40 years ago that was only supposed to be in a few episodes. That's just insane. Yeah, but no, Cheers is one of those shows where like you only need them to be in that one spot. You have the the, the employees of the bar, and then you have Norman Cliff, and that's all. I mean, and just them, just them sitting around the bus, the bar talking is is really all you need for a great show. I said like Beth was saying, all the different. Um, characters mingling all of norm's one-liners all you know cliff being like the, the know-it-all who is like the sad sack who you are actually okay with making fun of him and you know carly being mean to everybody and just yeah yeah i can't and, recommend the show enough and i know that i've only watched the one episode but i i definitely can speak to the talent of the cast because i mm -hmm. mean that is such an amazing cast like ted danson is great woody harrelson is great i love john mm -hmm. ratzenberger probably because of pixar honestly yeah. uh, but i always liked when george went would come on uh, any other show that i'd see him he's george went is one of those character actors that you see pop up and you're like this guy's great i like to see him so lots of good talent in that show for sure and to me i put the theme song at a nine it's as close as you can get to a 10 without being a perfect 10. okay beth what do what did you rate the theme song of cheers i'd agree Oh, I'd give it a uh, out of 10. Yeah. Out of 10, I would give it a 20. It's my all-time favorite TV theme song. That's what I was talking about. Nothing will ever beat it. Especially the full full version with the saxophone solo. <laughs> 
respect respect like i i can't argue with someone who's like this is the best theme song of all time because it's really good it is yeah. No problem. yeah all right well brian why don't you uh take a shot with this show okay well i mean cheers probably would have been the first one i bring up and so next one I'm, okay this is one of those shows that forever has an asterisk now you, oh, know, yep. you, you know what i'm talking about but the show itself was amazing and that is the cosby show Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cosby show yeah. is so funny. And mm-hmm. and like the, the teenage characters are fine, but it really like to me was between Cliff, Claire, and Theo. Those three, like mm-hmm. I loved their storylines and I'd love to see them, but especially between Cliff and Theo, like mm-hmm. it's so relatable as a dad now to see how he acts with his son. And it's like his son, you can see is smart. Theo has some mm-hmm. intelligence, like book smarts, but he does really well in playing the street smart stupid version like he's not a dumb character but he's a teenage boy and so he makes dumb teenage boy decisions all the time and cliff has to has to just sit there like what are you who are you and so like him having fun like teasing his own son mm-hmm. is a like a blast to see but he also has like that you he clearly cares about his kid he our kids he clearly cares about his family he clearly is a great dad in the show mm-hmm. and it was such a refreshing show to have to like not only be such a great family show but to show like this black family that it's not like there there's no like they're their race didn't really come into it. They were just an everyday family that happened to be black. And I think that that was really great in terms of representation for uh, the black community in that time. Yeah. Um, and I think great with, with Cliff and Claire is it's very rare. I don't know if it ever happened where Cliff actually had to raise his voice and yell at his kids because Claire was the yeller mm-hmm. and she kind of had got to be like the deadpan. Like he, he got to be the deadpan. Like, well, you're an idiot. Because of this, you know, so, but he never got angry, angry, even though like they were clearly on a team. He wasn't like push over letting his kids get away, get away with everything. But they just work so well together in their dynamic. And like one of the best episodes, which is, again, weird to think about now, considering the Cosby history is the whole one where it's they're planning a Theo was planning a bachelor party for Denise's husband. And the whole thing about do we have strippers or not? And then they came into a whole big fight throughout that episode that even talks about like, oh, the, the grandpa, Cliff's dad, had a some kind of stripper at his bachelor party and all the women are getting mad. And it's just – and they're serving chicken and they're getting mad at each other like, what do you want, a breast or a leg? And he's like, uh, give me a wing because that's the safe option. <laughs> See, for me, I always preferred the episodes that featured the younger kids. So like earlier today, I was actually watching the clips from when they did the – I think it was the anniversary of the grandparents and Rudy would come down and lip sync. Um, oh yeah. They like, did that, I think they did that twice, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Um, but I just always loved Rudy and all her little friends. And mm-hmm. then it was um, Raven Simone Raven. who joined the cast and her little friends. Yeah. And I just thought they were like a cute, almost like separate show within a show. Yeah. It almost started the trope of, oh, our cute little kid's getting too old. We need to mm. get a new cute younger kid to fill that void. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, and Rudy was actually supposed to be a boy when they first had started that, from what I can uh, remember reading. And then hmm. uh, when the actress auditioned for the role, they're like, oh, we need to we need to put her in. They, they changed her to, to be a girl to fit um, this act, young actress. 
I think it fit to have Theo be the only boy, though, too. Yeah. Yeah, like, you you could absolutely see there being, like, a big brother dynamic that they could have gone with, but what they still ended up with worked well, too. Yeah. Because all that, especially for him being oldest, all of that attention of, like, him trying to impress girls and be cooler than he is in front of all of his sisters who know who he is, <laughs> and, like, that dynamic was really good. Actually, Theo was the middle. Oh, was he? Oh, that's yeah, right. Sandra. Sandra, Theo. Denise. Thank you. Sandra, Denise, Theo, then Vanessa and Rudy. Yeah. Sorry. I just, it, like, he, he steals scenes from me, from, yeah. from the girls, in my opinion. So. Mm. Well, Sorry. the older two girls weren't on it as much as the younger ones were. Yeah. That's right. And then All as right. far as the, the Cosby Show theme song, it's weird because it's like it's a different one every every season, but it's like the same basic melody, just in different styles. Mm-hmm. So I would give it like a six because it's good, but I, I prefer a, 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 a consistent theme song. I don't remember it, so I can't rate rate it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a an A. Yeah, it didn't have words. It was just a melody. Yeah, yeah. I remember it. I think I'd agree with your six, but I think the creativity of having the idea to change it season over season. And I remember waiting for the season premiere to see what that opening would look like visually, because as the kids grew, it was more important to see what it was going to look like year over year. So mm-hmm. I, I'd almost give the visual for the theme more points than the audio. That's fair. All right, well, I'm going to bring up a show that I don't think is on either of your lists. And you probably, I know, Brian, you don't have too much from this show. I don't know about you, Beth, but I I don't think that this is for you. But I love, from this era, I loved the reboot of Star Trek, Star Trek Next Generation, the introduction of Jean-Luc Picard, the introduction of Jonathan Frakes into the Star Trek universe, who, like, Jonathan Frakes as a Riker, like he's done more for the Star Trek universe than so many other people because he's constantly directing episodes of all these other Star Trek spinoffs. And he's constantly appearing in everything from Star Trek Picard, of course, to the the Lower Decks show, to Enterprise, who's on the season or series finale of that. Like mm-hmm. he is everywhere in the Star Trek universe because he is just so inundated with it. And like this was, I love the original cast. I think there's strength in some of the other casts, but I feel like every single cast member of Star Trek The Next Generation was was on point, uh, except for Yasha Tar after the first season who died like right away and they replaced her. And, um, Tasha but, Yar. Like, the main, yeah. Did I say Yasha Tar? You did, which was pretty amazing. I did. <laughs> I'm really good at messing up <laughs> in terrible ways. Thank you. So you do know. So Beth, uh, yes. talk, talk to me about Star Trek. Oh, I, I talk about two things on my TikTok channel, the Muppets and Star Trek. I am an avid Star Trek fan. I feel very strongly about The Next Generation. It was number three on my list. I remember where I was when that show premiered, where I sat what our living room looked like. It was such a big deal in our house. And it was the, the technology for the, for the time was groundbreaking. I will say I have gone back and tried to do a rewatch and I'm Picard's probably my favorite captain of all the Star Trek captains. I totally agree. Riker, as much as I love Jonathan Frakes, I completely agree with everything you're saying and his involvement. I've I just finished, you know, season two of Strange New Worlds, and I know he directed a lot of that. But 
his character does it hold up necessarily i mean as much as like james t kirk holds up in that kind of like yeah smarmy man way women chasing way that they do um but no data is one of my favorite i my one of my big complaints about star trek in general not enough droids and data is really one of the only that we can look to to have any kind of you know droid interaction um yeah and i get with like star trek picard of explaining away like why we don't have more synths and i'm like okay yeah i buy it but i mean we could do more and you could have better and i think that that would be good to see i guess maybe not in star trek new strange new worlds because that's before synthesoids but like I, I i'm with you that we should have more because the exploration of what made data human was some of the best storylines in star trek yes period yes 100 percent agree and how they called back to it in that last season of picard with the cat too much, too much. I've, I've shed many a tear over that season and thinking about What do you think, Brian? <laughs> okay, uh, apologies to, to both of you and to Wilbur, wherever he is. I have still never seen any piece of Star Trek media. I've never seen any of the shows or movies, anything. And at this point, I think I'm not going to until we eventually do a podcast about Star Trek, and then I'll have to watch some stuff for that. We'll watch the Which best of why- both worlds. Which is why I've been quiet on this. Fair enough. Um, but I will also say the theme song mm-hmm. for Next Generation is a 10 out of 10. I'll give it a 9. It's very good. <laughs> okay, well, it's very, very good. for Especially for a Star Trek theme. It's probably the best Star Trek theme. What if I just act like a jerk and give it a 1 to throw off the, the average? Well, you... that's, that's fine. <laughs> you don't count, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Beth, navigate us to something else. Engage. Um, oh, I have so many on here. Anyone have Murphy Brown on their list? I don't, I don't but go ahead. Are, you, are either of you familiar with Murphy Brown at all? Vaguely. Yeah, I never watched any, but I'm familiar with the concept. I mean, it was really a vehicle for Candace Bergen, who is brilliant in absolutely everything she does. And again, similar to Cheers and that, you know, everybody was a very, it was an ensemble cast. Everybody played a very specific role. It took place in a newsroom. It was really at a time when news was starting to play a bigger role, I think, in society. You know, we had we had pretty much just been network news and this whole cable news was really blossoming, I think, in the late 80s. And this was an opportunity to explore that a little bit and explore it from a pretty level-headed, presenting both sides kind of way, not in a a particularly biased in in one way. They did a good job of presenting arguments on both sides. It was a comedy with a little bit of brain, a little bit of heart, really just everything you were looking for in a a sitcom. I believe it was a Monday night sitcom. Um, I like that when they actually can show both sides of a, of a thing where there are some shows that really seem so much like it's almost like a political agenda. Yeah. But if you can stay out of that, that'd be good. This, this, as I recall, seemed to be a, a little bit more unbiased in that way. Um, but again, anything with Candace Bergen, I just think she's brilliant. And Candace Bergen, she's the daughter of Edgar Bergen, correct? I believe so. Yeah. 
I do find it funny. I know that this debuted in 88 and um, Growing so Pains in 85. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but like that you were able to watch Murphy Brown but not watch Growing Pains because that's, to me, a lot more adult from what I understand about the show. I guess I've never seen it, so I, no, you, I don't know for sure. You're right, but I think like my my family, I'm sure someone has Golden Girls on their list. I remember I was allowed to watch Golden Girls up to a point and then it got too racy. And I think the cutoff for my parents was sex. So anything that was showing relationships or sex, and there wasn't a lot of that in Murphy Brown, it may have been more adult themed, but it wasn't adult themed. Sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Plus, for me, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't, I watched, but didn't tell my parents I was watching. Brian. (laughs) First that and now a tattoo. Yeah. All right, Tattoo Boy, what do you got on your list? Well, and again, this is um, – I'm pretty sure Beth will have something to talk about this. I'm not sure about you, Matt. But when it comes to the Henson world, the 80s was the time of Fraggle Rock. Yep. So, Matt, have you seen any Fraggle Rock? Do you know about the show? I think I did as a kid. I don't remember, like, any of it. I know that, like – before you get into Fraggle Rock, I do want to like highlight. I think that that's awesome. Like, because 70s was like the inception, well, maybe not like 60s inception of the Muppets, but like 70s was like growing that, like the the power of the Muppets, so to speak. And 80s was like, a, well, let's get weird with it. Let's do what we can. <laughs> let's see. Like, I love that experimental phase of the 80s. And I think maybe Fraggle Rock is one of the things that exemplifies it the best. Oh, maybe Dark Crystal exemplifies it the best. But. Well, it's interesting with like the, okay, real quick. Give me two seconds. I got to show you guys something. Okay. He's, he has a whole song and dance prepared. He's going to go get ready. I wouldn't be surprised. If I hear music start playing, I'm leaving. <laughs> okay. This was back like 10, 15 years ago before streaming was everything. I got into Fraggle Rock late because I was always more like, yeah, I, I like the Muppets and Sesame Street characters, but I didn't really know much about them. When I first got into them, what I had to do was buy – the complete box set DVD of Fraggle Rock. Wow. That's impressive. And that's that's how I watched it. And how did you think the... that reveal was going to go, Brian? I just, I just wanted to, say, to know. I wasn't expecting a while, but I thought it, it would still be good to show. If I thought of it, I would have had it here already. Um, <clears throat> but just looking at like how what Jim Henson had in his mind when he was creating the show is – I mean, this was his tagline was I wanted to create a show – uh, to promote world peace, which mm-hmm. sounds a lot, a lot, but like that's kind of like the message they wanted to promote with the show is like how you give all the different species, the Fraggles, the Doozers, and the Gorgs, and how like they all work together in this ecosystem and how they learn to, you know, be with each other. And you have like the Doc and Sprocket and Uncle Traveling Matt like exploring the human world. And it just, when you look at it from that lens, it really is like was a, a big undertaking in what they wanted to promote for that show. And another thing is that interesting is that Jim Henson kind of created it as a show that he could just set up and leave because he doesn't perform any of the major characters. He has a couple recurring characters. So basically he would set up the show. He would come in every now and then to perform a character or direct and then just leave. And he would leave the rest of his performers and directors to kind of keep that machine running, which is kind of a, a great way to do it because basically he keeps money coming in for – the Henson productions gets a good show going, but he doesn't have to be hands-on every day running it, which is just the cool behind the scenes aspect of it. Didn't, didn't he kind of do that with labyrinth and like put who's the performer who did Elmo? I thought I remember saw like in the documentary that like that performer really took over labyrinth and was like kind of the guy with that. Or am I misremembering? I don't know. That would have been Kevin clash at the time. 
I don't know. Could be. Okay. I thought I remembered in the documentary that was like Kevin was like like Jim was like, hey, you know, Kevin, you, you take the lead on this one and you you kind of show these performers what Henson performing is about. It so. could I don't really know a whole, a whole lot about the labyrinth and like Dark Crystal side of the Henson world. But I do know with Fraggle Rock and even like the main characters, they all are so differently unique. You have like, you know, Gobo's a leader and Boober is like the uh um the cautious one who just loves, loves to you know stay out of danger and do laundry, and then Red is the the excitable one. It's like they all have their own unique personalities in gel, and because of that, you can take any two of those characters, mix them together, and you have an interesting story there. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, could that be the largest puppy puppet in the Henson world in the trash heap? Ooh, that could be. Do you know about the trash heap, Matt? I I don't know. <laughs> Uh, their all-knowing oracle is literally Marjorie the trash heap, and it's literally just a giant pile of trash, trash that becomes alive, and gives them yeah. sage wisdom. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's that tracks. <laughs> At no point in that sentence did I know where the sentence was going to end up. <laughs> Performed by the brilliant late Jerry Nelson. Oh well, there you go. Yeah. Interesting. I, I like to give these guys shout-outs when I can. Yeah. I mean, you know the names. Like, you're not going to, like, I think that's what his name is. Like, no. yeah, you know it. Just... I, of course I know the names. So I, I know names, too, like Yashatar. <laughs> Brilliant. So I was reading a list the other day of, like, top ten Canadian shows of all time. And Fraggle Rock was on the list. And I thought it was interesting that they identified it as a Canadian show. But apparently it was a production of, I think it was done in the U.K. It was, but with It was filmed in Canada. Okay, it was filmed in Canada. So Canadians are, are claiming it as their own. Well, and um, Gobo Fraggle kind of has a bit of a Canadian Canadian, ac- Canadian accent. He says A all the time. Oh, hey, I've never going here, that. eh? Yeah, but the, the three major Jim Henson shows were all filmed in different countries. Because mm-hmm. Sesame Street was filmed in the U.S. The Muppet Show was filmed in, in England. And Can- Fraggle Rock was filmed in Canada. I didn't watch Fraggle Rock, but I watched the knockoff version of it called Eureka's Castle. Did you oh. ever see any of that, Brian? Yeah, I, I remember Eureka's Castle. Very, there was a, a bat and a girl and a, and yes. a third one. A, a nearsighted bat that would constantly like crash into the walls and would fly. And that was the funniest thing to like a four-year-old kid at the time. You know what's scary? Sure like, a real what? bat in your house that I had last week. Oh, yeah, just like that one. I'm exactly. sure if I went back and watched it, I'd be like, yeah, this is very much a kid's show. But um, so that's – I don't need to talk long about Eureka's Castle. Yeah. And that's even more of a 90s show because Eureka's Castle debuted in 1989. Well, it wasn't even that long of a season. It was it was on in 1989, and that was it. And then it would like restream on Nickelodeon a little bit. So mm-hmm. I don't really have any shows that started in like 80, 89. Like I don't have like – Family Matters or Seinfeld because they're like those are more '90s because even though they started technically at the very end of the '80s. Yeah, I do have one that I'm still going to call an '80s show. It started in '89. I have a number of them, like Cops, on here. It started in 1989. I love it or hate it, that was a, a push forward in reality TV. Yep. Like we have reality TV today because of Cops and because of Survivor. But um, anyway, so the 1980s show that I want to talk about, the debut oh, real quick. before the Fraggle Rock theme song gets a nine. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I'd agree. I'd give it a nine. 
is Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap was the show for, like that I loved as a kid. Like, cause I, I had such good connotations with it. Cause like I would watch it with my parents and I was like one of the first shows cause they would tape it and they would watch it together. And I didn't always really understand what was happening, but then Al would walk through the wall and I'd be like, that's so cool. I love this. And then like now I, I'm rewatch. I'm watching the reboot. They just did last year. And I'm like, they get the feel of it but it's a little too modernized for me it's it's like it's a hard line because quantum leap was kind of schmaltzy and it kind of needs to be but i feel like they they can't it's so hard to have a genuine like schmaltzy type of show nowadays and mm-hmm. that's why i'm so impressed with star trek strange new worlds because that does have like that classic star trek feel in a modern audience i'm like how do you guys do this because that's super impressive mm-hmm. but i loved old quantum leap and i love uh scott bacula he is such a great tv actor mm-hmm. yeah i mean isn't quantum leap kind of like it kind of set the stage for a lot of like mystery shows going forward there were a good amount of like mystery shows. Oh, I th- do you mean like mystery shows like Lost? Yeah, like kind of in that same vein. It wasn't so much of a mystery show. There was like the thir- the running thorough line of Sam Beckett needs to get back home. And he's leaping all these different times to try okay. and get back home. But there really wasn't too much mystery that I remember of okay. like, you, you know, because we never saw in this Quantum Leap reboot, we see the people like working behind the scenes for him. We never saw that, that I remembered in the original show. And so it was really more focused on the one at a time. It was very episodic and a serial show instead of just, you know, any continuing arc at all. Yeah. I didn't watch a ton of it, but that's how I remember it for sure. Yeah. All right, Beth, give us another great show. I don't know how anyone hasn't brought this up yet. This is upsetting. Alf. It's on my list. It better be because it has a puppet, which I mean, (laughs) ticks a box right there, but it's got, you know, made up science fiction, um, Mm. a normal family, normal family. You know, you had wacky neighbors. You had that, like always trying to keep them hidden kind of thing. Make sure he doesn't get out. It almost, I would love to hear Roger from American Dad's take on Alf because I feel like they live kind of similar lives in in that way. Um, He was perfect. He burped. He ate cats. Like what? There was nothing wrong with Alf. As a cat owner, I don't love that he ate cats. (laughs) That's a strange list to make perfect. You know, I'm going on the dating scene and I'm looking for that perfect mate. They better burp and eat cats. I'm allergic <laughs> to cats, so I'm, I am too. I'm fine with Which them is why tested. we don't record at my house very often when Matt's in town. We go to his hotel. Listen, the Egyptians worship cats, and the Bible says you should not have any other gods before me. So, there you, go. you know, it's in the Bible, cats are evil. <laughs> okay. Clearly. <laughs> I'm sorry to all you cat lovers out there, but I'm not really all that sorry. So if you have a hate mail, send it to Brian. Well, I like dogs too. I have, I just got a puppy. It's adorable. You did. Yeah. We had a puppy a couple months ago too. We're puppy pals. There you go. Um, I don't know if this is true or this is a rumor, but wasn't it came, came out that the guy who performed Alf was kind of a jerk in real life or is that, or is that something I've heard? Uh, um, just a rumor. I don't know. I haven't, I don't know much about the guy who performed him. 
don't know, but that was interesting because it's, it's one of those things where kind of like, you know, a Scooby-Doo in the Scooby-Doo movies where it's like, he's like, the main stars are like the humans, but really you're going to watch Alf. You're going to watch Scooby-Doo, yeah. you know, it's like, he's the star without being the star kind of a thing. He's got all these great one-liners and, and mm-hmm. Alf, the personality of Alf was tremendous and it, mm. it of course like made him a phenomenon that you have a different personality in there the show doesn't work and alf just like being that everyday sort of guy like that sarcastic mm. goofy silly like you know this normal family like he was urkel before urkel but not annoying you yeah. know so when puppet characters can just get away with stuff that other sure. characters can't like even okay i don't think they would they probably wouldn't have done this in 2023 but like in the 80s muppets animal would just yell woman and chase women around true <laughs> anyway of course when i a, only stopped doing that like a year and a half ago <laughs> well that's concerning because you've been married for 10 years <laughs> well i mean i it's only the one woman but okay well that's she was eventually like matt you, just, you need to be done <laughs> It was cute when we were dating, but that was too much. But that's the kind of thing with, I think, Alf. Like, I don't remember any specific scenes, but I know, like, it's kind of thing where you can have him say racy or even, like, offensive stuff, and it's like, oh, it's cute because it's Alf. But if a human said it, they'd be like, oh, John, you don't remember news, a specific you know? scene? Do you remember how it ends? The TV show ends with Alf getting captured by the government that he's trying to hide from, and he's probably just getting tested on and dissected. Like, it is one of the – when you think about the implications of it, it's probably one of the worst finales for any character. Like, this beloved guy that we all love, he's uh, in a government facility, locked down as a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. I did so not know. So for every that. ET that gets away, there's an Alpha doesn't. Yes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's the like in terms of dark endings for happy characters, I can't think of anything else apart from the show Dinosaurs that Oh yeah. Was, where it's like, oh, it's the Ice Age. That's how the show ends. I'm like, what? What why well, why is this how you're choosing to end the show? That whole show is pretty dark. There was a lot of uh subversive things in there. Intentionally, Which, but this shouldn't shouldn't surprise you. But the guy who talked, Kevin Clash, Elmo, was also the baby in Dinosaurs. Oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Huh. There you go. You learn something new every day. Um, oh, that was Beth's pick, so we can move to Brian. Okay. Uh, well, Beth mentioned it earlier, but I think you have to mention Golden Girls. Yeah. You have to. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, on paper, you made me like you want to hit a bunch of different demographics. So, like. They kind of took a risk saying, let's make a show only about four elder, elderly women. Like, on paper, that wouldn't be a show like, oh, I'm going to get all the young people to watch old ladies. Like, but it worked. You know, against the odds, it worked. It did. And let's also remember, people were tuning in because of some of the actresses. Like, Betty yes, White is Betty. one of the most beloved humans mm-hmm. of all time. And, and uh, even then, she, she was known from the Mary Tyler Moore show and then yes. later on became known for Golden Girls. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, she, she'd been in business for decades. Mm, um, yes. So I think people were tuning in for the women who mm. just happened to be older. Although the most upsetting thing today, I don't know if you've ever seen, like when they list their ages and how old they were when they started in their show and how many of them were in their 50s. And as someone who's getting close to being in their 50s, to even think that I'm nearing Golden Girls age. 
Not well, I saw a thing where it's that. also the styles where like they took yes. a photo of like uh, I think it was Jennifer Lopez and then one of the Golden Girls who at the same ages the pictures and they swapped their haircuts. Uh, yeah. And one got younger when they bed and then Jennifer Lopez got older looking. Yeah. Because they definitely had not the youngest haircuts. I will no. say. No. And I think as of now they're all dead, right? Mm. Betty White was the last one. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I know Ruby Clanahan, B. Arthur, Estelle Getty, they're all dead. Yeah. That's right. I know all their names. Well, good. I couldn't remember Estelle Gettys, but I knew the other three. I know yeah. stuff. I only <laughs> remember B. Arthur's name because of because of the movie uh, Airheads, where one of their ransom demands. So the Airheads is movie with uh, Brandon Fraser leading mm-hmm. this rock group of Steve Buscemi and Adam Sandler, and they take over a radio station to make them play their hit single. And that's all that they want for the demands. But in order to keep the police busy outside while they're trying to figure out what they're doing, they give them this bogus list of demands. And like one of them is like a, a, a football helmet filled with cottage cheese. Another one is naked pictures of B. Arthur. And so that's, that's the, they're like, how are we going to get this? That's the only reason I remember that name for, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> that's upsetting. So they <laughs> just telling it like it is. Oh, Matt, I don't think I can hang out with you anymore. Oh, thanks, Matt. But I mean, shows that have stood the test of time, shows that still have a cult following, shows that people mm. are still absolutely obsessed with. I saw a TikTok video this morning where someone was thrifting a set of Golden Girls mugs they had found at like the Salvation Army, and they were so excited mm. about it. And, you know, to go back 40 years and tell folks of that time listen this show is going to be a big deal for a long time that's yeah. that's definitely one to tell them and then they tried to recreate like the thing they were trying to recreate the feel of um golden girls by even getting um betty white again for hot in cleveland but that show mm. was hot garbage yeah it was hot in cleveland garbage yep <laughs> all right well was that beth's pick or was that brian oh, oh by the brian. way um the what is the theme song the the golden girls i remember it thank you for being a friend yeah. thank you for being a friend yeah i put it at a at a 5 honestly because it's like i can barely like remember it in my head and it just it's not an earworm to me oh i i'll give it as i'll give it a 6.5 oh it gets a 9 that's a classic <laughs> Just the anger. Like, I, I don't want to come back on this show if you're going to mock Golden Girls theme song. <laughs> All right. We, 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 um, can't, we, can't, we can't alienate her too much because Beth's the only one who could match my Muppet energy. It's true. That's true. I can I can keep up. Like, I, I guess matching what? is a is a far cry, but I can keep up. Oh yeah, you are. Uh, yeah, I definitely. You're, you're definitely uh, just a couple of notches below, but not very not far far but off off. That's what I was going for. A couple notches below on the, the Muppet meter. All right. Well, here's to me probably one of the one of my favorite shows. I think Cosby Show would be my number one from this era. And they're very different shows, so it's hard to compare Star Trek with this. But I think number two is going to go to one of these shows. And it's The Wonder Years is the other show. Mm. Yeah. I loved The Wonder yep. Years. I like I, I came into watching that show a little young, but it, like it was on like re rewind. Uh, what a what a what is the word? I just completely forgot. Reruns. Reruns. That's the one. Gosh, I'm dumb sometimes. Um, What's a rerun. You'll find out when you're older. Uh, so 
uh, re, like I would watch this on reruns and I'd watch it probably when I was uh, around 10 ish. And that was a solid age, maybe just a little young to completely understand like all the, the young love stuff, but it was at a close enough age that I could get a little bit of that. Like, yeah, I know what it like. I can understand having a feelings for this girl and like mm-hmm. pining after her and, and love being super hard, but also love being super simple. And like, I can understand the concepts here. And like, there was this, the first, I think that I had felt watching what I was kind of starting to understand and believe on screen. And that to me is, I think why wonder years was so big in my life or at least at the time was is it was great to watch this budding love interest that to me gets made better when we watch the spiritual successor of boy meets world in my yeah. opinion but it's you know it's yeah, that same show brother. with two brothers um but i loved wonder years i was ben savage ever in in, in wonder years because i know fred was. savage was in boy meets world yeah, yeah. As a- he uh there was like on the valentine's day episode um, when they come together, then Ben Savage is like a little tiny Cupid kid and he shoots like a heart arrow okay. at him. That's cool. Yeah. What were you saying, Beth? Well, I was going to say Fred Savage's character on Boy Meets World was very awful. He was yeah. that terrible. That was, a very, that was one of the very special episodes yeah. of that show. Um, but yeah, I agree. Wonder Years was one of my favorites. Uh, Fred Savage was my first crush as a mm. young girl. And um, I went on to Heavy Crush on a boy in grade eight because he looked like Fred Savage. Um, He probably was nothing like him. But the other thing that was so great about that show is it was one of the shows that did a really good job of working in the history of the time. So my parents were really eager to watch it with us and be like, oh, they're talking about this thing that was going on in the 60s. And this is what what how that impacted me. And, you know, they would show actual footage of like the moon landing or the Cuban Missile Crisis or whatever it was. So it was both you had that like you wanted to watch the young romances and the kids, but also your parents were excited to like tell you about the history of these mine were. So it was kind of a, a family event for us, for sure. Well, that's cool, too. I like because like, my thought is if it's a period show, you have to at least do something with the period or make it interesting. Otherwise, why does it need to be a period show? And yeah. I think Wonder Years is one of the shows that did it well. Yeah. Because they actually – it wasn't just, oh, it's set in the past. It's set in the past and we're going to use that. Yeah. I like the Goldbergs, but the Goldbergs wishes it was as good as the Wonder Years because it does follow that same formula of you have a narrator and going back into time looking at – life as a kid and speaking of crushes i mean like how can you not have a crush as a as a young kid as a young boy on danica mckellar and so i don't know if she was my first crush but she was definitely one of them yeah so so matt i know i know you've seen this but beth did you ever watch impractical jokers no okay there's one episode you should look this up whereas one of the punishments they make uh mer one of the guys wear a speedo and get oiled up and then have an awkward interview with Danica. Is it Danica McKellar or Danica Patrick? I forget. Danica, McKellar. Danica Patrick's a racer. Yeah. Okay. Danica McKellar. Basically like he, uh, who was his, his like childhood crush. So he basically has to go in almost naked, oiled up wearing a speedo and talk to his childhood crush. That's awesome. Cause he thinks As he's going to be doing like a bodybuilding, like that he's going to be like showing off his body and like that that's the punishment. And that's a believable enough. Cause he's this tiny little skinny guy. Yeah. And he goes in there. And it's just, she's just sitting there ready for him to interview. Oh, and he's like, what? That's so Worst mean. way to meet your crush. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely go back and go back and watch. And look, just look that up. Look up Impractical Jokers, Dan O'Keller. I made a note. 
Yes. There you go. I don't remember the theme song from Wonder Years. Um, it's a Beatles song. Obladi, Oblada. Oh, yes, I do remember it. Yep. Okay, it is great. Was, oh no, as no, no! Song. I take it back. Sorry, that was for the show Life Joe Goes Conquer. On. The Wonder what, Years was. What would, what you, would do? you do if I sang out of tune? Would yeah. you stand there and yeah. walk out on me? Is that isn't that also a Beatles song? It is a Beatles song, but the version they use is Joe Cocker. Yes. Okay. I forgot. Thank you. Yes, that is top tier. I I will take a point away from it because it wasn't written for the show, but it's such a well done thing. So I'm giving it a nine. I'll give it an eight. I'll give it an eight. Yeah. All right. We're getting close to the end here. Anyone else have have any other shows? Uh, well, I think just the kind of the uh, the genre of show. Uh, I'll kind of lump uh, Magnum PI and the A Team into into one, mm-hmm. kind of like the same kind of genre there, of like the 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 cool tough guy attitude. Get Tom Selleck in there and Mr. T. And Miami Actually. Vice would also be. Yep. Oh yeah, Miami Vice would all be, or uh, Hawaii Five O, also. And to a lesser extent, there's like Hill Street Blues. That that wasn't so much tough guy. That was a, a little bit more in depth on like the the side of the police officers. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like those ones that you're talking about are definitely like, like how you're saying like, Oh, I'm the macho guy. I'm going to beat him up. And Hill street blues is more of the drama surrounding this police precinct. Yeah. I didn't really watch any of these shows. I know enough about them to kind of get them in the culture, uh, cultural aspect. So I'm not sure Beth, did you watch these shows? I did not. They were a little before my time and I never had a desire to go back and watch them. Plus I think I was intimidated by all the mustaches. I feel like the eighties were really a, a, a stage for a, a thick mustache and uh yeah that's just not my my scene which is funny because it's like it's really magnum pi that had that where it's like tj hooker and mcgyver and uh a team like these guys didn't have mu- or miami vice they didn't have mustaches true, true. there's also Bert, the burt reynolds movies too yeah but I mean, like '80s TV is going to reflect '80s movies. You had these action heroes from the '80s mm-hmm. movies that Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger are competing, and John Claude Van Damme. They're all like doing this herbal, herba, or I don't know what word I'm trying to say. Um, this very masculine energy, and mm-hmm. the like. This is unbelievably masculine, but it's cool to watch as a guy. Yeah. One thing that I don't think we've mentioned, um, probably one of the biggest comedies of the eighties was New Heart, which was mm-hmm. I had that on my list. Was very much a, a groundbreaking show in a lot of ways, but arguably had one of the best finales of any TV show ever. That's when he woke up in the other show. Uh, yeah, that? he and it was all a dream. Mm-hmm. You know they they did a they spoofed that just, just for like a, a a bonus feature extra little clip, they did that with Breaking Bad. They had They're lost, uh, yeah, they lost too. But you did, with Breaking Bad, they had um, Brian Cranston wake up as Hal from Malcolm in the Middle with Lois from Malcolm in the Middle, saying like, "Oh, I had this crazy dream that I was a drug dealer and I killed people." And, That's clever. Yeah, man. I, Obviously, the success of Newhart show relies on Bob Newhart. He okay. is such a talented comedian where mm-hmm. he he doesn't need to be loud. He doesn't need to be crazy. He has this very uh, small, like this this dry delivery yeah. where it, like he lets the he leads you along in the joke as he delivers it, and then like 
you catch up to it at the end. I don't, I don't know if that's the best way to describe that. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh yeah. He has his own style of comedy really. Um, yeah. It's deadpan without being Stephen Wright. It was, yes. he's, he's somehow both the, the comedian and the straight guy at the same time, which not there many people go. do. And he's still, I heard him in an interview just, I think a couple of years ago, maybe the first year or two of the Conan podcast, he sat down with Conan and he's still very sharp, very funny. Um, I don't know if he's still alive. He is. I just looked it up. He's 93. Wow. Good on him. So actually, I just thought of this now uh, with the recent news that's coming out. If like Saturday Night Live or anything like that needs someone to play Rudy Giuliani, they should get Bob Newhart. Because he looks, they look so much similar. They actually do. I I couldn't buy Newhart as Giuliani though, because like you need a bigger personality for that. And even though Newhart is a big star, he yeah. doesn't have a big personality, and that's what works so well. Is he's like this? He's not a sad sack sort of person, but he almost plays to that yeah. and mm. lets him be like that self deprecating sort yeah. of humor. I just, he's so good. I love Bob. Yeah. And he had a great recurring role on, on The Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. And they kind of kept bringing him back because he was brilliant on that show. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great pick. That, that was one of the last ones I had on here. But um, we didn't talk about a show that maybe we haven't seen too much because there's a lot of really good 80s shows. But um, we didn't talk about Family Ties. Yeah, and I wanted to bring up that show. Like I said, it's not something I've watched a lot, but I mean that was like the Michael J. Fox vehicle, and we mm-hmm. got so much great um, f- film and TV out of Michael J. Fox. That's like thank you for Family Ties that that propelled him into the limelight. Oh, uh, Michael J. Fox, Courtney Cox, who really was uh, in there was a season or two. I think she was in. Um, that show, we I was allowed to watch that show because it didn't have as grown-up themes, apparently. Um, but yeah, I agree. Michael J. Fox is probably the best character on that show. Um, just to have, first of all, a super conservative character there, who was super into politics and, you know, he was very much his young Republican identity. Um, and he wasn't that typical teenager who was just running around going to parties and doing that. I think that's what set him apart a little bit. But it was a, a great family. I think when I think of that show now, you think about some of the the hardships that maybe some of the girls went through in their real lives. And, you know, I know they struggled in that whole child actor trajectory. But I love the show, love the theme, love the opening. I thought it was a great show. Actually, now I'm wondering... It might have been Family Ties that Matthew Perry died in or Growing Pains. It was one of the two. I think it was Family Ties because I think that sounds familiar. Honestly, that's – I'm trying to think of Family Ties. I know I watched a little bit on Nicodate, but I, I keep getting the no, mix. No, it was Growing Pains. You're right. It was Growing Pains. I keep getting those two mixed up. And all I really know is, is – um, I mean, the the dad and, and Michael J. Fox. I forget the dad's name in real life. They're, those are the two actors that can I can clearly pick out. Uh, as family ties, but I just, those okay. shows are almost interchangeable for me. Justine Bateman, Tina Yothers were the two sisters. Courtney was Cox. it Joanna Kearns? Was it the mom? I think she was the mom and the dad. I can see his face and I can't think of his name. Yeah, he he was Ted's dad on How I Met Your Mother. Yes. Yes. He was. 
Um, and then also the Matthew Perry died as a uh, DUI. He was drunk driving and got in an accident and died. Okay. Mm-hmm. Still kind of rings true to his personal life. Yeah. I mean, any sort of substance abuse that's going to die right into it. Um, the other TV show that gets talked about, actually, there's a couple of them. There's uh, both Charles in Charge and Who's the Boss Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, are other big 80s shows that get brought up a lot when we talk about those shows. Again, I I haven't seen these shows. I wish I was better prepared. I wish I had like all this stuff to be like, oh, yeah, let me – but nope. Matt, we don't expect you to watch all of 80s TV just for this episode. I'm watching all of 90s TV. I'm getting it all in for next one. We don't even have a guest for 90s yet. Oh, we will get a guest. I will be my own guest. That'll be the easiest one to get because that's anyone our age. But yeah, yeah. anyways. Uh, I think also add to that list would also be Facts of Life. Again, another one that I haven't really seen much of. Yeah. So do you do you remember any of these shows, um, Beth? Like I said, Who's the Boss, Charles in Charge, Facts of Life? Uh, yes. So I watched all three. Um, Charles in Charge was probably more recent of the three. So that was probably the one I'm, I enjoyed the most. Um, the others were more like things I would catch in reruns. They were, they were fine. Mm-hmm. I know who's the boss was another, like when you talk about crushes growing up, everybody had a crush on Alyssa Milano from who's the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it had that whole, will they, won't they with Tony and the mom whose name is escaping yeah. me, but yeah. I could take them or leave them. It's not something I'd ever go back and rewatch for sure. You know, one thing that is interesting is, um, so Lisa Welchel, who was one of the actresses on Facts of Life, actually went on to be a Survivor contestant in like season, it was in the mid 20s. And she actually made it pretty far. She was in like the final four, final three or something like that, that she she made it pretty far. But she, uh, and it was kind of thing where like, she didn't want to play up who she was, but a couple, like at least one of the, one of the other guys who was closer to her age, basically was like, yeah, I grew up watching the show. I know who you are. Huh, I did not. We we should have like a bingo card that we put on our site, and that like you get a point for every time we mention Lost, Survivor, uh, Muppets, or Back what's the other show that we talk? The, the Office, I guess. Or Back to the Future for you. Back to the Future, because like we come back to these wells like all the time. Like I know this doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about, but remember that time on Lost when this happened? Me too. All right, continue on. Yeah. You're welcome, everyone. I had to specifically not ask Jeff about Muppets Mayhem because I know he's a Muppets guy because I knew that would be a, a very long diatribe. <laughs> we can we can maybe talk about Muppets Mayhem if you feel like that warrants a, a whole episode. But I could definitely talk about it for a whole episode. But it depends on if we need to. <laughs> does, well, does anyone really need our, epi- our episodes, period? I know we have a couple people like on – life support it's like this is the only thing keeping them going but for the rest yeah. of you guys it's just a hobby yeah. all right any other shows from the 80s well we briefly mentioned it but teenage mutant ninja turtles which yes. was one of the i mean i was definitely not not okay here's another bingo card i was definitely not as into that as i was, as I was power rangers but mm-hmm. i mean i still got into it enough and like i had one of my cousins uh, actually tammy's brother who was actually on this podcast uh he was a huge and had all the action figures. So I actually got into it through him. He was, cause he's a few years older than me, but yeah, I mean, just the different personalities of the personalities and just the fact that it's like, it's not just a superhero, but they're, they're teenage superheroes who talk cool and eat pizza. It's like, yeah. Oh yeah. You know? It was huge in our house. My little brother was a big turtles fan. And of course 
um, you know, when they started making the live action movies. And then I remember getting on pay-per-view the Coming Out of Our Shells tour, which was the um, live action concert that the Turtles put on. So we have the soundtrack to that playing in our house mm -hmm. at all times. Turtles were like, like all of the birthday parties for my brother were turtles. Like it was, yeah. turtles were huge in our house. Does your brother still write songs? He does. He does. He actually wrote one recently. He is uh, in the rock band in the military, in the Air Force. Oh, okay. And uh, not only did he, and I'll, I'll tell you about it later. He wrote a song recently, a parody that he delivered in a, a presentation at work. Um, for my wedding a couple of years ago, in his wedding speech, he actually used the lyrics from a lot of the late 80s cartoons and TV shows and like made his speech with 80s theme song lyrics. It was very, very clever. I'll have to find it and show it to you one day. But Yeah, you have to show it. Because I... I knew your brother briefly back when you guys were youth leaders. He came, he came, came with you a few times, like 20 years later, I still remember every word to his kangaroo song. That's impressive. Yeah. It's like lodged in there. Well, as, as we're wrapping up here about animated shows, I just wanted to state my discontent about um, the 1980s being the time they introduced on Scooby-Doo. They introduced a character named Scrappy-Doo in 1979 and was really trying to push for him through much of the 80s. And it's like, come on. Scooby-Doo was fine without this little punk kid that you got. So that's my that's my anger that uh, the 80s gave us freaking Scrappy-Doo. When we don't, you don't mess with perfection, Hanna-Barbera. You don't do it. <laughs> without Scrappy-Doo, we wouldn't have the Scooby-Doo movie, though. Yeah, I need to rewatch that because I'm curious how it's going to hold up now versus how it was. I remember you being a little disappointed back then because I was just like, what is this? But that's James Gunn's sense of humor. So Here's the thing. If you go into those live-action Scooby-Doo movies with a, an objective eye, they're not going to hold up. But if you go in deciding, hey, I'm going to like this, then you're going to like it. You know, you got you got a point there. I can't really argue with that. Yeah. Okay. This is okay. This isn't TV, but I think it's relative because it is um, re rehashing from the '80s. Okay. I don't know if you've heard, you guys have heard this, but Follow Boy came out with a, a new updated version of We Didn't Start the Fire with new like current like events that have happened since the original song came out, and it's actually really good. Have you heard it? No, but I feel like it's going to make me feel old. Yeah. Because, I mean, they, they mentioned, I mean, any, everything from Y2K to George Floyd and everything in between. Wow. That's, that's quite the gamut. So let's move on to trivia. Brian, what do you got for trivia? So one of the characters we talked about last week was Saeed from Lost. And we asked, why did Saeed from Lost have long fingernails? And it's because the actor who played Saeed, Naveen Andrews, had long fingernails so that he could use them as guitar picks while playing guitar between scenes. Sounds good. What interesting trivia that we had last week. Great. Well, anyway, this week, this week we talked about Eureka's Castle. And if Jim Henson is the force behind Fraggle Rock, there's a person who is that version behind Eureka's Castle. So who developed the characters of Eureka's Castle? And I'll give you a hint. They are the author of a popular book series. You, you will know the person once I bring it up. So I'm going to just real quick check that <laughs> for sure. 
Okay, I am right on that. Perfect. All right. So every now and then I, I just lead off. And I'm like, wait, is that right? <laughs> but I am. Well, anyway, special thanks to our guest who second time come back and just as great as the first time. Um, we will see you the next time then, Beth, next time that you're on. And we'll make sure our internet's better, right? Lovely to see you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, I'm Matt. I'm Brian. And I'm Beth. And we're reminding you to stay tuned and keep watching.